Let us now read the passage that we will study this afternoon. And so we'll continue through the second letter of Peter. And we have come to the third chapter. So let us read 2 Peter 3 verses 1 till 10. So there we we will read God's word. This is now the second letter that I, that is Peter, am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water, by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Amen. So we're coming to the final chapter in this um, little letter from Peter, the second letter that Peter wrote. And so this final chapter is maybe good just to refresh and see what we have learned so far. So Peter is writing to young Christians. So Christians probably who are weak at that time, but also going through various trials and challenges. And we've addressed some of those earlier on. And Peter's writing here to assure them of their faith. So I mentioned in the first verse to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So though they may be weak, they may not experience the same thing that the apostles have experienced in witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ or witnessing some other miracles. Peter mentioned that their faith is of equal standing as theirs because it is their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he assures them that it is through God's divine power that they have escaped from corruption, as we see in verses 4. 
And throughout their lives now, they are being transformed in the image of God. So that is the indicative that Peter writes to them. But from that follows the imperative that Peter says they need to make every effort to grow in holiness. Peter then uses the second part of that first chapter where he uh, uses his witness to the transfiguration but also the prophetic words as evidence for his and the apostles' credibility. And that against the false teachers. And then in chapter 2, Peter warns against the false teachers. Peter mentioned that these false teachers then can be known by their fruits in the way that they live. But also he's very clear in that second chapter that God will judge the wicked. But at the same time as God is able to judge the wicked as he's done in the past, he's also able to save those who are in Christ as he has done in the past. So we saw that we can take great comfort from that. That if you are in Christ, then the Lord will save you from all the enemies in our lives. So we now look into the third chapter. And in one ways, many things come back that Peter mentioned earlier. And as we start off, we see that it mentions, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you. Now for us, that may not really mean that much. But by using this phrase, the second letter, Peter gives importance to his teaching. He confirms that what he says is important and we should listen to it. We see that in other chapters in, the, in Scripture as well. So at the end of John 21, verse 14, when Jesus again appears to his disciples, and he mentioned that this is now the third time that Jesus has revealed to the disciples. So again, by using that, this is now the second time, but it's now the third time. Again, emphasizing the importance of the teaching that Peter is giving to his readers. But also, and we saw that earlier, Peter has a caring mind for his flock, for those that he writes to. And see towards the end of that same sentence, that I'm writing to you, beloved. So Peter calls these that they write to, beloved. At that time, those who he wrote the letter to. But as we saw, Peter wanted this letter to be read by other congregations. He wanted this letter to be read by us. And Peter calls us beloved. Indicating Peter's love and care for his readers. But also indicates a family relation. We're all part of that one big family with Christ as our head. So here we see the relation of Peter caring for his flock as he cares for his, um, his readers and as a father cares for their children. And we saw that previously, any father who loves their children will do anything to save them out of love for their children. And that is the same what we see here. Peter, out of love for his flock, he cares for his sheep as the Lord asked him to do, care for his sheep. So Peter is doing that by writing this letter to us. In some cases he may be strong in his, in his words, and we saw that in the second chapter. And some of that in the third chapter comes again, where Peter may be very strong in his words. 
but it's because he has love for his readers, love that he has even for us as we are now reading this letter. We then says that Peter says that in both of these letters, and in both of them, that's the, well, most probably first Peter, but also in second Peter, he said, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So he stirs, stirs us up. In the NIV, it's translated slightly different, which may have a bit more, or could maybe speak more to us. We read there, I have written to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So that is what Peter has here in mind. So we need to fill our minds with wholesome thoughts. It should be with a pure understanding of what God mentioned to us in his word. Not mixed with the false teaching of, yeah, false teaching of these false teachers. Peter asks us to use our minds as God intended it for us to, to use. Filled with wholesome thinking. And we'll see later uh, that he reminds them to fill your mind with the scriptures and be reminded of the scriptures. So Peter remind them that what they have received previously through gospel messengers and he mentioned that in 1 Peter 10 verses 12 10 10 till 12 So concerning this salvation The prophets who prophesied about a grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So again, these things has been announced to them and Peter is reminding them again of these things. So Peter asked them to be reminded of the teaching from the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So we see two things. So to be reminded of the predictions of the holy prophets. Now Peter may have a few things in mind when he speaks about those predictions of the Holy Prophets. Are those predictions regarding the Lord's return, regarding his judgment? And we can see that in some of the prophets from the Old Testament. As you read in Micah 3 verses 4, there we read, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. So we see that the Holy the prophets speaking about judgment that is to come. But also in Amos 9 verses 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. So Peter may have these predictions in mind that we should be reminded of those. But also it could just be the general teaching from all the prophets in the Old Testament. So Peter may have both of these things in mind. But then also, he has in mind that we should be reminded of the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Reminding them of what they have been, been told by the uh, apostles. So the apostles, those who have proclaimed the Christian message. Now there could be Paul, Barnabas, but there are several other apostles who proclaimed God's word. 
So we see here Peter reminding them that they should be reminded of the words in the Old Testament and what we now know as the New Testament. And we can also see why Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verses 20. He writes that the church is built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. So here if we apply that to our own lives, then how easy it is to go with the flow these days. Again, to fill our minds with unwholesome things. Many things in this life come upon us. Things in our work, in our family. If you go to school, things that you might hear at school. Many unwholesome things are coming towards us. But Peter here asks us to use our minds well. To use our mind as God has intended it for us to how we are to use it. And if we use our minds and fill our mind with the Lord's words in the scripture, it will give us understanding of faith. And through that, it will help us in how we are to live, how we are to worship together, how we are to witness to our friends and to our neighbor. So how we live and our understanding of scripture are strongly linked. Paul also writes about that in Romans 12 verses 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As a Christian, we have a very different lifestyle. One that flows from our experience of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, our mind should should be stirred up by the truths of Christ. Again, our tendency is probably to focus on things that we see and that we can sense in this world. Our minds may focus on our present earthly situation. However, we should focus our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fix our minds on him. Never lose sight of Christ. Again, so I would urge you, hold fast to the teaching of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the word of the prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles being brought to us. And it's important for us that we have both of those things in our mind, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Taking these things apart from each other and none of those things make sense. So just taking the Old Testament and it may look like we need to earn our own salvation through all the laws and things that have been given. If you just take the New Testament then we don't know why Jesus come. Why did he have to die on the cross for our sins? So again, let I urge you to fill your mind with scripture. Read God's word. We are easily distracted by many things. During the time that Peter writes, they were distracted by prophecies or um, uh, skeptics about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So prophecies of the end time. And again, that is still very present to today. But there may be other things in your own lives that could distract you. However, we need to feed on Christ. Focus our minds on him. So for us, we should focus and continue to use the means of grace that they've given to us. 
the word of God as we hear it every Sunday being preached to us, but also in your own personal devotions at home. Pray. Pray together. Pray individually. Make use of the sacraments. Again, next week in the afternoon we'll celebrate together the Lord's Supper. So make use of all these means of grace. But also in the fellowship together. Fellowship with believers coming together. And joy, have joy in being together with each other. It's only then we can fully understand the essence of the Christian life. That all is rooted in Christ and what he has done for us. So Peter is very clear that we should be reminded of these things. Only then are we to stand fast. And why? Then we come to the next part when Peter writes about this knowing that first of all scoffers will come. So there's a reason why Peter writes this. And he starts off with, above all, know this. We could also translate this as, make no mistake about it. It is going to happen. We should not be shaken by it. We know that these things will happen. Scoffers will come. But as we go through the next few verses, we should focus on the steadfastness of God's word. And that's going to be my second point, where we focus on the steadfastness of God's word and of his promises. And primarily we're going to look at verses 5 to 7 for, for that. But we see here, so Peter warns them about the scoffers that will come. And he mentioned it will come in the last days with scoffing. So we are in the last days at the moment here. And again there's maybe a lot of debate about what is the last days. And many books have been written about the last days. But it's clear from scripture that we are currently within the last days. We see that in Acts 2 verses 17, again in Peter's sermon, there he quotes from Joel, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Again, Peter speaks at that time when the Holy Spirit has been poured out. So indicating they are at that time in the last days. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verses 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Again, we are in these last days when there are times of difficulty. Final quote just from Hebrews 1 verses 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we see from all these things that clearly we are in the last days. And in these last days, Peter writes, there will be scoffers. Scoffers who mock the Christian faith. Or those who bring shame upon someone. We see that in the Old Testament as well. In time from Nehemiah and Ezra. Where they were rebuilding the temple and the temple walls. How they have been mocked and scoffed. Because they were rebuilding the temple. And as we saw last in chapter 2. That these scoffers we can see them by their fruits. The way they walk. The way they live. 
And we see they come following their own sinful desires. They're following their own hearts. And what do these scoffers say? What do they come with? Well, they come with this question. Where is the promise of his coming? So they reject the Lord's coming. They say, where is this coming? Now, it was very common during the time of the, the, when the scriptures were written and the Old Testament as well, where skeptics, the way they acted by asking these various questions. And we saw that very early on. Satan addressing to Eve. Did God really say? Did he really mean this? So we see that in many other examples as well. Just want to read a small section from Second Kings. Some time of King Hezekiah. And we'll read from the second part of verse 32. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered this, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? So again, coming with this question, has, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpath in 34? Where are the gods of Sepharim, Hannah and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. So these skeptics come with these questions. We saw that in the New Testament as well. When the Pharisees, they were skeptical about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they asked him, where is your father? So these false teachers and those scoffers, they come and demanding for evidence. Evidence that why hasn't the Lord Jesus returned yet? Yet they forget, and not just by accident, but intentionally they forget that the promises are of God. And they are, these promises are fundamental to God's divine character. God is the unchangeable God. His yes is yes, and his promises are secure. He is the one who promises. So these false teachers, they base their argument upon the fact that nothing has, ha- has happened. We see in verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So based the fact on nothing has happened so far, ever since the world has been created. So they say, as nothing has happened in the past... The promises of God have not come to pass in the past, nor will they come to pass in the future. Now, just as we look at these verses from 5 and then, or basically from 4 till till 8, it's maybe good for us to have a little idea of the structure of how Peter writes this. So, just a small bit of technical details here. But we see in verse 4 what the skeptics or what the scoffers say. They come with two things. They say, where is the promise of his coming? And then they base this on the fact that nothing is happening. Nothing has happened so far. Now Peter refutes both of these arguments. But in a reversed order. So in verse 5 till 7, he refutes the argument 
that nothing has happened so far. And then in verse 8 till 10, he talks about refuting the, the promise. Goes again, so where is this promise? So is that say the way Paul Peter writes this? So I want to focus now on the argument from these skeptics where they say nothing has happened so far. They don't trust the word of God. They say God says this, but nothing is going to happen. And their basis on the fact that since creation, nothing has happened. But Peter writes that for they deliberately overlook this fact in verse 5. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word of heavens, but word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until that day by judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So though they claim nothing has happened and nothing will happen so far, they forget that it's through God's word that God creates the heavens and the earth. And though may may think like may seem like things doesn't happen, it is because God sustains everything in creation. It's through His Word that He upholds everything. So Hebrews one verses three, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So the thing that everything has continued is through God's divine power. He is the one who sustains the world. But also, he is the one who created the world. And we saw that a few weeks ago as we go in a morning service. Hear about the creation of the, the, the world through the word of God. And then Peter writes, So they forget that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water. Now that's a bit of a strange phrase being used there. And as far as I know, what else being used in Scripture. But we can see that in the fact that when you read Genesis 1, verses 1, so if you read verses 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then afterwards, earth was created by putting these waters aside. And that's where we get a separation of land and water. So here, you might see how Peter writes, it was created by water and through water. But the main important thing here is to note that this water is also being used later by God in his judgment. So we created the heavens and earth by his words, and by his words and through water, he then executed judgment on the earth by the flood. And this has been deliberately overlooked by these false teachers. They deliberately overlooked that the flood was promised. God said he will flood the earth and he did come with his promise. And we saw that in chapter 2 as well. So it's by the same word that God sustains the world by the same divine word um, 
yeah, is God's d- divine pre- preservation of the created order for the coming judgment of the world. So God keeps and sustains the world by that same word for the coming judgment. God is not only able to keep the righteous for salvation for those who are in Christ, but is also to keep the ungodly for their final judgment. And we see that towards the end of that verse. It's being kept and stored up for fire until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So finally here Peter comments on the fact that God is keeping the present order, sustaining creation for judgment. And this has consequences for all humanity. Those who reject the way of the Lord will be judged. Judgment in this world has personal consequences. Again, if you apply that to our own lives today. Again, do not be shaken if there are scoffers, people who scoff or mock the Christian faith. Again, today as much as then, there are a range of issues surrounding our Lord's return. And even within the Christian community, there will be many different views about the Lord's return. So both inside the church and outside the church. However, God's saving plan has not been blown off course now any more than it had been when Israel waited for the Messiah. God promised very early in Genesis 3 verse 15 that the Messiah will come. And people of God had to wait many, many years for the Messiah to come. But the promised one did come. Jesus was born. He was the one who was promised. People these days avoid the supernatural of this world. And we should be reminded that it is God who created the world. God who is so much more powerful than us. He is the one who created the world. God used water in judgment by the flood. Another example would be in through the Red Sea. When the people of Israel went through the Red Sea being saved by, the, by God their father. But when the Egyptians and Pharaoh and his army went through the Red Sea, God used water to judge them. Now here we see flood as a temporary purge of sin. And we see Peter writes about when the Lord will return, it will be stored up for fire. So that will be the ultimate judgment there will be no point of return by that time so trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in God's word his word is true and his word is faithful his promises will never fail and this is nowhere more visible than in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ he was the one who was promised from old, and God is true to his word. And this is then also being affirmed by Jesus being resurrected from the dead. Again, which is a supernatural event, but is through God and through his word. So it's trusting that word of God 
that enable us to make sense of the past, but also allows us to make sense of that future. So can I ask you, can you afford to ignore the word of God? Can you afford ignoring that the Lord came with a judgment in the flood? At that time, when the Lord returns, there will be no time to change. So I urge you, heed to these words from the Peter, that the word of God is true. His promises is faithful to us. And then the final, we look at verse 8 till 10, where Peter addresses the question from these coffers, where is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? They say he's not coming. Where is he? He will not come back. Again, we see verse 8. Peter starts, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Again, comes with this pastoral care to his readers. He used the same word here as in 3 verses 5. Do not overlook or do not ignore. So when we look at our lives, how we live our lives, we should not be guided by historical arguments of what we see, but we should be guided by theology and by doctrine, guided by God's word, what God says in his word. Now Peter then in his um, addressing this question is where is the promise he speaks about this where he quotes from Psalm 19 that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day again several books probably have been written about that verse in relation to many things and we can discuss this in well, long, as long as we would like. But Peter's argument here simply is that the divine perspective of time, of time is different than the human perspective of time. What we see as rapid and slow is different for humans and for God. God is Almighty One, so much more powerful than us. So we should not put our perspectives as God's perspectives. The Lord, he does not delay his promises. So we we read in ESV, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. That could also be translated as the Lord does not delay his promises. And we see that in other passages of scripture as well. We've seen Habakkuk 2 verses 3, where the prophets write, It will surely come, it will not delay. And here Peter contrasts this delay of being slow to fulfill his promise with his mercy. So he is not turning aside judgment and not come with his judgment. As the scoffers say, well where is this God? He is not coming so there will be no judgment. Now Peter says, The reason for not coming yet is because of his divine grace to us. says he is patient towards you. And again, patient towards those that Peter writes this letter to. And then maybe some that he writes to are mixed up with the false teachers and maybe almost have gone with the false teachers and turning away from God. And Peter mentioned here 
that God is patient towards you so that you can repent and turn towards God. Now patience here should not be confused with tolerance of God towards sin. God's patience will come to an end and judgment will take place. I want to quote to you from Acts 17. Peter, when he, no sorry, this is Paul. Paul, when he is speaking on the Areopagus, he speaks at Acts 17 from verse 13. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Can we see here that God's promises, we can trust him on his promises. And he has done so because he has raised Jesus from the dead, which he has promised. So we can trust God on his word. So the fact that there is a delay in the Lord Jesus coming again is not because of God's tolerance towards sin. Also, we should not see this as a universal salvation. You may read that that is patient towards you and, and follows not wishing that any should perish. You may think that that means that God waits till everyone has come to Christ or where there will be no judgment. No, it follows all should read repentance. So it waits till all read repentance. Now that all is all that God has called um, to those that are called to, to, be, to be saved. And then verse 10, I just want to briefly go through verse 10. So the day of the Lord will come. God will appear in judgment and salvation. And in this verse, Peter then focuses on the judgment. And also, as Jesus mentioned itself, that judgment will come unexpected. It will come as a thief, or as Jesus mentioned, as a thief in the night. It will be unexpected at that time, but it will come. And at that time, like the flood, everything was destroyed by water then the whole heavens and earth will be destroyed by fire. But it has that promise, which we're not going to look at right now, but in verse 13, it is destroyed, but according to his promise, we are awaiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So that destruction of heaven and earth is not the end point. But there will be judgment from the Lord coming. So the false teachers, they have shown doubts, about the reality of the final judgment. Peter here is going against them to declare that nothing and no one will escape God's wrath, save for those who embrace salvation in Christ. And we'll see in the final section of that verse that there is nowhere to hide at that moment. He says, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed at that time. There will be nowhere to hide. So finally, let us apply that to our own lives. I don't know where you are in terms of thinking about the Lord's coming and his second coming. Whether you think the delay is a sign of a broken promise or not. However, 
I urge you to realize God's timing is not ours. God's ways are higher than our ways. As we confess, He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We are finite. We are time-bound creatures. An example might show this. When we are on a long journey with our children, how often will children ask, Dad, are we there yet? How long? And as a parent, you may say, very soon. Because you know it will not take that long. For a child, that may take ages and ages. Scan how much bigger a difference that is between us and God. So God is patient. He is waiting so that sinners will come to him. God's patience is not slackness, not ignoring that sin is in the world. But he is patient to wait for those that he has called to come to repentance. And he waits until that number of those whom God has planned to save has actually been saved. So for us, rather than to complain about that delay, or to have a range of discussions about it, or even worse, suspect that Christ might not be coming at all. I urge you to use that time to take every opportunity to go out and to proclaim the gospel to those that have not been saved yet, so that that full number may, or that number may be filled up and Christ will return. So let us use every opportunity to proclaim the gospel to those that God has called. For us, we obey the great commission that we had from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the day, the day of the Lord will come. And as we see, as a thief in the night. At that time when it's too late to do anything about it. When we saw, when, we, when the flood was being um, warned, when God warned about the flood. There was time and time when Noah was building the ark. People could see it. They could repent. But they didn't. For us, when the Lord will return, it will be unexpected. So I urge you, are you ready for that day? And as we think about these things, indeed that question is impossible not to think about. Am I ready when the Lord Jesus will return? Are you ready when the Lord Jesus returns? Are you then going to trust on the Lord? Not coming in your own merit, on your own good works, but come to the Lord in faith, knowing that it's through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sin and for my sin that we can stand before God. I urge you, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves us from our sins. Amen. Let us pray. Great. And loving Father in heaven, Father, we thank you for your word, your word that is true, your promises that will come to fulfillment. And Father, as we have heard these words, Father, in a way, they could be um, bringing fear in us. But Father, we know that if we are in Christ, we do not need to fear God when he is coming, because we will be with him and reign with him in eternity. 
But Lord, we pray for all those in this land and in this country. Father, for them when it will be too late. Lord, help us to go out and to proclaim Christ so that many will come to repentance and to know this Lord Jesus, our Savior. Amen.